my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. AT&T connects and ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Will Lucas, and this podcast, if you haven't heard, has been nominated for an NAACP Image Award, and I need your help. The NAACP has recently opened up the opportunity for the public, that means you, to weigh in and vote on this category. Head over to vote.naacpimageawards.net, scroll to the Outstanding News and Information Podcast category, and vote for Black Tech Green Money. 
It's not often that we see a podcast for us, by us, which highlights the stories of black innovators, technologists, venture capitalists, and angel investors, scientists, and engineers with this big a spotlight. So I'm asking for you to take a moment of your day and vote for us. Do it now. So I think this is where I think a lot of people have a, a pretty bad misconception. The, the base layer technology that we're talking about is blockchain technology. The first use case, the first the firstborn child use case of blockchain technology is cryptocurrency. So usually when I'm having this kind of conversation, I love to kind of have a first principles conversation around the use case and the, the, the efficacy of blockchain technology. Cryptocurrency is a use case of blockchain. I'm Will Lucas, and this is Black Tech, Green Money. I'm going to introduce you to some of the biggest names, some of the brightest minds, and brilliant ideas. If you're black in building or simply using tech to secure your bag, this podcast is for you. Kayla Haley is an NFT strategist and founder at St. Rock Media, which helps companies all over the world craft cultural experiences and events. A frequent speaker on NFT-related topics, Kayla is a prolific investor and trusted voice on blockchain technologies. I spoke with Kayla about the current NFT bear market and investor outlook and what's happening in the world of NFTs that gives investors like her hope. I think number one is there's some really interesting examples of uh, really large brands out there that are doing a fantastic job, Um, two of which would be like Reddit um, and... Uh, Starbucks. And the interesting thing I would say that they've done um, that's unique about their NFT programs is that they're not even calling them NFTs. They call them uh, digital collectibles. They're calling them, it's just, you know, uh, uh, Starbucks just calls it their new like Odyssey rewards program. Um, And so I think that what a lot of groups are doing right now is they're, they, a a lot of uh, fintech solutions, a lot of big brands, they've not slowed down on adopting the technology, um, but they have uh, tweaked the way that they bring that technology to market um, and what they're calling it. Uh, the technology is the same. People just don't know that they're using it. And so I think that's one of the big differences that I've been seeing in the last couple of months is uh, how some of the big brands have been um, using uh, mass adoption with, uh, with blockchain and, and NFT, NFTs. Can you make a distinction because I've, I've heard you use NFT business before and like in your tweets, you've, you've, you've used that, you've used that phrase. Can you describe the difference between like an NFT and NFT project and an NFT business? And if there are others, can you describe the differences between those? Yeah. Um, so I think like, you know, I just described a couple of companies that are natively web to companies that are adopting blockchain technology. So they're kind of in this like web 2.5 space. Web three companies are companies that have started from the community first. So a lot of times um, web two companies tend to be like product driven. And so they'll create their product, they'll create their MVP, uh, what's their minimal viable product. And then they, uh, you know, get a bunch of VC money and go, you know, uh, customer acquisition, right? Web3 companies, um, some that I might throw as, as an example would be uh, Board Ape Yacht Club, so like Yuga Labs, um, uh, Artifact, which then got acquired by Nike, um, are all community-based companies. So they started as a community. The community bought the token, the NFT, 
And that was the startup, those were the startup finances for the company to continue to build and develop as a company. Um, so it's really just kind of the ethos of like how those two worlds kind of use the technology. Um, I will say though that there are m the vast majority of uh, NFT companies out there are not great operators. So mm -hmm. they tend to get really excited and get the community really excited and um, everyone buys the token and then they don't have any operations. They don't actually have a value pro uh, proposition. They don't actually have a product that they, that they want to continue to develop on. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's where a lot of uh, Web3 NFT companies specifically kind of stumble and fall. Um, what typically what typically do they have that makes people buy in celebrity status you know great design great art like what what makes people buy into these things that have very bad business operations yeah I think that um, a lot of these folks are marketers so they're really talented at marketing they're really they're really talented the artwork um, is really attractive um, people love being a part of something that other there's kind of this like indie culture of Folks not, you know, oh, I know about, I'm an early adopter, right? NFT, Web3 people love being like early adopters. So they love being able to like be on the bleeding edge of the next trend. Um, and so I think that that in combination with the fact that um, people who, if they wanted to resell the NFT, they can make money off of it. So you add those two components together, making money, culture, tech, uh, and it's kind of a, a winning recipe uh, for people to, uh, to, to buy into something. Uh, the problem is that they've lost a lot of money along the way. Yeah. Can you describe more about the projects? What typically is a thread between projects that are successful that have, that gave them unique or innovative, you know, features that allowed them to be successful other than the operation, which we'll talk about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great question. So I think that, um, some, I call them at St. Rock, we call them value engines. And so it, you have to be really clear on what exactly you're offering. What is the value proposition for? Sometimes uh, you have some artists out there that it's literally just art and that is the value prop and you got to have the art and that's it and it's beautiful. Um, and you know, the interesting thing is, is as the market has kind of had a bit of a downturn, art projects have performed better and maintained their value better than the projects that promised you know, there's really fantastic roadmaps. Um, so that's that's been a bit of an uh, ironic and an interesting thing to see. Um, but other than that, um, I think that basically you're asking like, what makes um, some of these projects successful? Some, some, some successful projects, um, I think it also comes down to, to the funding and the runway. Yeah. Uh, some of these projects raised a lot of money. They, um, through the NFT, and they had the time to go and acquire like talent <laughs> to help them figure it out. So some of them just had the runway to go like figure out what they were going to offer. Um, Doodles, for example, they hired uh, they hired uh, uh, Pharrell as their creative, their chief creative officer. Um, and so uh, between Doodles, Yuga Labs, um, Artifacts, some of these other big projects, they just simply had extra funding to like help them figure out what they're going to do. Some of them have moved really aggressively into gaming um, because I think that they think that that's like a really viable business model going into the new year. When you are looking at the team who are who's building a product, a project even, um, building a community, what are you looking for as an investor in NFTs? Like what kind of things give you signals that say, you know what, this is likely gonna be around a while because these things are in place? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, number one, the team has to be doxxed. And by doxxed, that just means they need to, they cannot be anonymous. And so you have to be able to do your due diligence to be able to look at, okay, great, let's look at this person's LinkedIn profile. Let's look at, you know, what is their history of just part participating in this like overall ecosystem um, over, over a period of time. So that's important. What's their background? Um, what experience do they have? They're saying they're going to bring a, a, a game, a metaverse game to market. Great. Who on the team has actually done that before? Um, those, those are some of the things that you would do kind of during your own personal due diligence process. Um, looking at the community, how engaged is the community? Um, if they are hosting a Twitter spaces on Twitter, great. How many people show up? Um, how many people are engaged and are asking questions during that Twitter space? Um, Another thing would be to look at, um, you know, again, the team's important. Um, uh, what is the value prop? What is the business model beyond the initial NFT sale? Because if uh, I think that a lot of people who are attracted to NFTs and Web3, they tend to be um, kind of like libertarian uh, from a kind of political slant um, in point of view. Um, they don't want to be the product, which is why they are happy to pay money up front because they don't like traditional social media platforms. And so um, the problem though, is that again, with some of these folks who are running these projects and they're not great operators, uh, all they know to do, all they know how to do is sell NFTs to people. They don't know how to create products. And therefore those same people that don't wanna be the product realize that they end up being the product again, because they're just selling more NFTs to people. This is, so talk about the the value proposition, because so often when we hear about value propositions, hey, you, your NFT gets you in the door at this party or it gets you, you know, a right. ticket to, you know, meet me and have lunch face to face. Like what are better things other than just I shouldn't say better. Like what are other things other than just a ticket to the, the party that NFTs, you know, really unique opportunities have provided for those holders? Yeah. I think that um, with some of these, I think that a lot of, um, again, I, the, the industry is so nascent, right? And so a lot of those business models are still being ironed out. When we're talking to clients, we're like, hey, look, NFTs are not a business. I wrote a tweet about this too. Business NFTs are not a business model within themselves. You already have to have an established business model that NFTs can be an added value layer to something that's already pre-existing. You already need, need to know that the market is there. You need to know that the, the, the solutions that you provide are already there. Um, I'll give you an example of one that we actually did um, for a, an education, higher education product. Um, essentially, it was a membership pass. Buy your NFT. Uh, think it's, no, it's not too much different than um, like a Costco membership. We have a network of partners of um, you know, online college, um, colleges around and universities around the country, um, all tier six or you know, tier five or higher um, accreditation. They're in our network of schools that you can, if you have our NFT pass, you get access to any of those schools. You can enroll. Obviously, you still have to apply and get in. But it, assuming that that happens, you get access to those college credits at like 20 to 30 percent off of what retail is. Wow. And so um, similar, so it was almost the, the idea, if you're familiar with like Mark Cuban's cost plus drugs, or if you're familiar with you know, obviously Costco, um, it was like wholesale college, online college courses. And so that was like a very, um, that was a very tactical and practical um, application of how you have a membership pass uh, that then um, translates into real world 
savings for something that people want, which is, well, some people want a college degree. And so you touched on this a little bit about NFT art, and that's one, you know, vertical inside the NFT space. And it was super duper hot a year ago, 18 months ago, or, or any time in that window. Where are we with NF, just NFT art beyond the ones that have communities behind them? It's just a pretty picture. Where are we today? Is there still value today if I'm a designer? and I'm just a designer, I may not be a community builder, is there still value? Is it still worth it for me to go to OpenSea and publish my thing? Well, with all of these things, you still have to build community because it's we're, at the end of the day, we're talking economics and we're talking supply and demand. And that's 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 regardless of if you're an NFT artist, That's that, that those rules apply even just in the regular traditional art world as well. So um, regardless of whatever you're offering to the world, there's gonna, there has to be a buyer for it. So, um, so the, the, the value prop for, um, for artists, and I think the reason why so many artists are attracted to NFTs is because of the royalty co uh, component. And so they're like, okay, great. If I'm gonna spend all my, my time and energy creating this piece of art, I wanna get as, I wanna be able to extract and capture as much value from it as possible. Um, and I think that that uh, the, the smart contract, the royalties in perpetuity is what attracts so many artists. And so I was having a conversation with a nonprofit um, executive director. So think of think of it in the way of, you know, a zoo executive director or a, a metro park executive director. And they were they were wondering what the value of them could be with producing an NFT collection. And you know, doing research online and learning about this, you know, there's a there's an argument to there's no secondary value or very little secondary value of holding that NFT. Like, so if, if I'm buying the NFT to support sustainability at my local park, what is the value to the next person who may want to buy that thing? So can you talk about that concept and how to fix it? Yeah, so, so two things I would say. One is if you are that type of organization or something like that, I'm actually a really big fan of instead of the organization, especially like a nonprofit, like I actually did a talk about this at NFT NYC. I literally, my argument was that um, um, nonprofits should actually, instead of doing their own project, they should actually partner with uh, artists. They should actually partner with folks who have a value prop that extends beyond visiting you know, the, the, you know, rescue center or whatever the case may be. Um, because in, instead of like having their own NFT project or perhaps doing it in collaboration, now that uh, nonprofit entity can have their wallet address written into the uh, primary and secondary um, sales of the, of that chain in perpetuity, um, being a partner to organizations that do have a secondary uh, driver for, for what's going to drive those secondary sales. So that's actually, that's that's typically the strategy that I actually um, usually talk to. Could you give an example of what that might look like? Yeah, um, there's an NFT called, I'll give you a good example and I'll give you an example of one that I, I use, literally use this uh, at NFT NYC. Um, a case study of this one project called Flower Girls. Um, and they are, it's an artist, um, her name is Ava something, I forgot her name. Um, so she comes from the traditional art world. She has a huge community already. Um, part of the project is they wanted to make sure that they were giving back to the community. So they give to women and girls shelters. Um, and so as a part of, they have a gamified component where they have like 
I don't want to bore you to death, but it's like they have seeds and, and these different, it's like very garden, you know, themed is the NFT. And so they have like this gamified thing where you plant your seeds and water the seeds and watch the flowers grow and this whole thing, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, but as people get into the game and they're playing it and they're trading their NFTs back and forth, that's the volume that's happening on the secondary. Um, and because of the partnership they have with like the women's shelters and things like that, those nonprofits are, are benefiting um, from all of the transactions happening on that on that smart contract. So um, you had tweeted six months ago, maybe about you were you were at Basel, you were at Art Basel, and you were talking about you would you wouldn't believe that the world of crypto is falling apart if you were in that environment because the energy was so palpable. I want to particularly talk about the, you know, the falling apart, you know, part of that comment there. And that because there is a sense that crypto isn't what it was cracked up to be. We were some people lost a bunch of money, you know, whether they were where they aped into stuff and whatever people lost money. And there are some people who are really, really big winners. It just came out a couple of days ago. Peter Thiel pulled out a bunch, you know, right before the market crashed. And so how does he know who knows? But the idea I want to discuss is what is your take on the world of crypto and its long term value? So I think this is where I think a lot of people have a, a pretty bad misconception. The, the base layer technology that we're talking about is blockchain technology. The first use case, the first the first born child use case of blockchain technology is cryptocurrency. So usually when I'm having this kind of conversation, I love to kind of have a first principles conversation around the use case and the, the, the efficacy of blockchain technology. Cryptocurrency is a use case yep. of yep. blockchain. So um, cryptocurrency is not going anywhere. This is, I think a lot of people, so if you go back and kind of do some history, um, 2017 was the last time that there was a really big um, influx of users and, and, and onboardings into the block blockchain and crypto space. 2021 was just the last most recent version of that. So um, if you look back at any of like the trading charts since the beginning of Bitcoin in 2009 and Ethereum in 2000, I think it was like 12, I think um, this this kind of rise and fall uh, is normal. <laughs> to be quite frank yeah, yeah. and you don't lose money if you don't sell so there's no such thing as there's there are realized gains and realized losses um and so everyone who has held and gone through um all of these cycles over the last decade um have gained so um so if we're looking it really depends on what perspective perspective your chart is that you're looking at your chart um but if you're looking at in the last 12 months well, then, yeah, everyone's crying right now. Uh, but if you look at the next three years until the next Bitcoin uh, bull cycle, um, if you hold, perhaps uh, you'd be giving people kisses. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. 
I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. 
it's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Crypto goes up, crypto goes down. Some people believe it's all a fantasy in the first place and others are true believers. Myself, I foundationally believe that there will be a mainstream digital currency. Now, whether it's Ethereum or Bitcoin or some other option is yet to be seen. But I do believe at my core that there will be a digital currency that is widely accepted. Is this then a good base idea for investing? Kayla speaks on it. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, that is the question. Back in 2017, uh, it's what we called like the ICO boom. Um, um, uh, initial coin, coin offering. offering. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And so uh, there are a lot of um, really terrible projects out there that didn't <laughs> do anything. And so same, it was, I mean, just look at the, you know, copy and paste. What happened in 2021 is the exact same thing that happened back then. Um, you got a lot of people excited about making money. Nobody actually wanted to provide value to the marketplace. Cool. It was a big bubble. It, it popped. Um, but the real players, I do feel confident. Um, Bitcoin is the most, like if you were to look at this on, on like a, on a, on a, on a line and look at, you know, on one end, you have the most decentralized uh, blockchain. And then on another end of the spectrum, you have um, the least decentralized blockchain. Um, Let's describe Bitcoin, what that means for people who, who may not get sure. what centralized and decentralized means too, before you go too far. Yeah, so decentralization is is really the, the, the reason why blockchain was created in the first place. I don't want to go too into history, but the reason why Bitcoin was created was out of the housing crisis of 2008. Essentially, the idea that we were, um, as, as you know, my parents, put their money into real estate, put their money into uh, their 401ks as, you know, that's what everyone was told to do is like the safe way to invest your money. Right. Um, and yet you have bank bankers who do... Um, uh, fractional reserve banking, right? Where they're allowed to leverage the funds of inside of, you know, your bank account. You put your money into the bank um, or into some type of investment vehicle. They take those funds, invest them. They give you a percentage back of what they make, right? It's basically how it works. They lost their money. They were doing really risky um, investments um, and they lost your money. <laughs> they lost your investment. Yeah. Um, and so essentially because of that, the value of you know, putting your money into those investments. So anyways, long story short, the person or people, Satoshi Nakamoto, who created Bitcoin was pissed off <laughs> and was like, um, instead of putting our money in the hands of uh, the government, we, I wanna be self-sovereign and control my own value. And so he created um, Bitcoin. And um, the idea of decentralization is that no one entity most centralized currencies are, you know, uh, you know, central bank or central reserve um, issues that currency. The idea is that no centralized entity um, issues the currency. And it's also deflationary because there is a max supply. So the idea is that um, there's- So you can't print more Bitcoin, is what you're saying, yeah. You cannot, print, you cannot print more Bitcoin. And so over time, as more people adopt and use it, it becomes more and more valuable. And what you were saying previous to that was if you look at the Bitcoin on a line and you, you, you were going to go down the trajectory, I, didn't, I, want, I want to bring you back to that. Yeah, exactly. So on a spectrum of like most decentralized is Bitcoin. Um, you have a bunch of different validators all around the world. 
Um, you think about AWS and they have like centralized hubs where their, uh, where their servers live and that's why AWS is able to provide you know, hosting services to companies all around the world. Um, imagine AWS, but like AWS doesn't own all those servers. We do, right? As, as just individual people, I can run a validator on my computer right now. You can run a validator on your computer. We're all keeping Bitcoin running. Um, no one owns it, essentially. No one person and no one entity owns it. So that's what decentralization means. On the other end of the spectrum, because people have seen how valuable <laughs> these networks are, um, you have companies that have you know, created their own blockchain, which means it is AWS, essentially. Yeah. And so um, it's, this is why it's so important to understand and, and to really be educated on the, 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 the ABCs of blockchain and why it was created in the first place. Um, so going back to your original question of like, what blockchains are going to survive over time, uh, I think Bitcoin is a really good bet simply because it's the most decentralized. No one controls it. Um, that's also why Bitcoin is also the hardest to build on top of because no one controls it and no one is in charge of actually maintaining. Like the technology is fantastic. There are Bitcoin um, foundations and you know DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations um, that vote and have governance and say, okay, great, we're going to vote to agree to upgrade this part of the network. Um, but no one owns it. And so uh, Bitcoin is really safe, in my opinion. Ethereum's also really good. Ethereum's kind of a middle of the road. They're, they're decentralized enough, in my perspective, uh, but you also have people who are really intentionally building on top of it. So you've got a bunch of companies, NFTs. Let's talk about NFTs, for example. Yeah. People are not building NFTs on top of Bitcoin. People are building NFTs on top of Ethereum. So it's a, it's a, it's just an interesting use case to look at. Okay, well, what? How are people using the technology? And more and more companies um, are are using Ethereum. So those are some of the the the, the uh, blockchains I think are are safe bets. And so there are people who are still excited about purchasing NFTs. And and since we're talking about decentralization, you you could hold you could put an NFT on AWS, and because it's you're just referencing it right the artwork yes you're referencing the, art. the artwork so can you talk about the value in knowing where your nft is the artwork is is hosted sure yeah that's okay that's a good question i two two parts to that one is that i don't know that that is necessarily like the artwork in the same way that people can like copy and copy and um like download the artwork I don't know that that's actually the value of the NFT. It's really the serial number. So like even if the artwork itself is not on chain, if it's hosted, being hosted on like, uh, you know, um, Pinata, for example, we've used a Pinata as a service to host um, the artwork and things like that. Um, it's really about like the artwork tied to the tied to the serial number, almost like the um, uh, certificate of authenticity, if you will, that it that does live on chain. So um, there are some projects that are like, our artwork is on chain. Cool. Okay. That's fine. That's, uh, sure. If that tickles your fancy. Um, I personally care to know that that artwork tied to the serial number. That's what I care about is the serial number that says this serial number owns that artwork. As long as that serial number is on chain, that's personally what I care about. 
And so I want to talk about your company a little bit. And you you help companies and organizations grow and manage, you know, the communities that they that they are desiring, even hybrid communities that they're desiring to collect. Um, what are ways that companies and organizations that are not super sophisticated can, you know, use the blockchain to engage their people? We really think about it um, in from the from the standpoint of community and I actually talked about this at Afrotech. I talked about how can, as a consumer, uh, how do you get the most out of your consumption? As a creator, how do you capture as much value out of what you're creating? Um, and then as a community and as an ecosystem, how do you have your, your incentives aligned? Uh, and I think that that's ultimately um, how we think about it, is how do we create ecosystems and communities where it's a sustainable uh, community, where all incentives are aligned? Um, I really like I really like the use case of memberships personally. Um, the idea of creating like a, a, a parent NFT is how I typically call it. Um, going back to let, let's for example go back to the example of like the higher education project that we did. There was a parent NFT, and that parent NFT basically produced two other NFTs every year, and that NFT was your um, access that you could burn to you know uh, get your discount, claim your discount for each semester. Um, because that, that NFT, that second child NFT was decoupled from the parent one, now you have the control as a consumer to say, okay, great, I want to be a member of this group, but I don't necessarily plan on using the benefits of being a member of this group today. So because I have my NFTs, my other NFTs that represent the benefits of, of my membership, I can store them away and use them later or I can sell them or I can gift them. And so it's giving people in your, in, your, in your community and in your membership organization more control and in fact, more value for being a member within your organization or, or within your community. So that's typically kind of the way that we think about um, NFTs, at least at this stage. There's things like uh, ticketing, free events. There's a lot of other use cases that we're, that we're kind of exploring with as well. Um, but I just know for myself as a consumer, I'm like, okay, well, if I own this on chain and the only way that I can extract value from it is by selling the NFT, well, I don't want to sell the parent NFT because that's like how I continue to get benefits. And so you have to be able to extract and decouple the, the main membership NFT from all the benefits that you get from that NFT. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation. 
I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready that, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't. I came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of BitCon, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning, is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to, to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Particularly because I brought up organizations, I'm, I'm interested in your take on, because if you've got... A token out there and you can't control whether somebody resells it you can't control you know how you distribute them in the first place people can apply to to be able to purchase but the resale is up to you or me right and so if we create a project that says we want to save the whales 
or I'm, make, I'm making this up. We want to save sure. the whales. And now you've and we've all bonded together to create this thing. We've all got an NFT. I decide I don't like whales anymore. So I'm going to go sell it to a whale killer. Like, how do you protect? That's a very yeah. gruesome way to set this up. But, yeah, I, no, you you it, but how do you protect? You it, all the all the PETA folks are going to come after you. <laughs> like, how do you protect the community? Is let's say we're creating one for all yeah. black techies. And now you've yep. got people who are not, you, you know, even allies who are buying this thing because somebody sold it. Yeah, it's a really good question. So this is um, last year. Um, there was a, so so uh, Vitalik Buterin, who's one of the creators of the Ethereum blockchain, wrote a white paper called um, talking about SBTs or soul bound tokens. And um, it's basically a non sellable NFT. And so this is a really good use case for things like uh, that you probably shouldn't sell, like your social security number or your driver's license or your passport. Um, these are things that are unique identifiers to an individual um, so that it actually allows uh, an individual to create an, an identity based off of data on chain, right? Like right now when we think about like, you know, identities in the, with the metaverse and Web3, we're thinking about the PFP, the, the, pic, the picture, the artwork. Yeah, the profile picture. But what about the actual substance of the person? Um, and that's where soulbound tokens come into play. And so we've actually been, um, we're, we're kind of in the process right now of, 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 of creating a couple of use cases around SBTs. Um, and I think that that's a solution for something that you're talking about that actually, again, kind of goes back to the model that I was just describing of like, cool, now that you're in, you're cemented into this group, yeah. and, you, and, and now you get these other like kid NFTs that are, represent your membership, so you can sell those things, um, but you can't sell the SBT that is tied to you. So maybe you still have like a, a you know, maybe you only want a thousand people in your group, and when someone says, hey, I no longer want to be a member, great, you can burn, you can have a burning mechanism that burns so that they're no longer an active member within your community. Um, and then now you have a spot that's open and available for someone else, but then you have a vetting process and maybe some kind of application process to, to see if you want them in your group. If you're looking at the ocean of opportunity that's still out there to be had by innovators, when you think about black techies and black innovators, where should we be looking for our lane when it, when it comes to the blockchain? Not just NFTs and not just cryptocurrency, but the blockchain in a whole. Where would you like to see more of us and make that case, please? Yeah, I think that there's still, um, what is it? What is the saying that like when when there's a gold rush, um, sell sell the picks and shovels? The, yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, there's still plenty of picks and shovels to to be sell, sold. So. Um, most of the biggest winners um, in this most recent, uh, you know, uh, bull cycle, it was OpenSea, who's a marketplace. It was uh, the exchanges who were just essentially selling you and creating tools for you to buy and sell crypto. Um, those were the companies that did the best. And so when I think about even the tools and products that we're thinking about building ourselves, it's okay, great. What are the what are the SaaS products that make it easier for people to um, build on, create the tools to help other people build? And so um, whether that's logistics, um, I think uh, like, I think FedEx and UPS um, are creating their own internal blockchains um, to help them, not a cryptocurrency, simply just blockchain, to help them with logistics. Um, 
I know that Amazon's creating their own coin. Um, a lot of companies are creating this. So, and, and I think one of the biggest issues is helping more and more people to onboard successfully and, and, and quickly, um, and there being less friction. So security measures, um, these are all things that you can just honestly just try to sign up for MetaMask and discover like five businesses that you could <laughs> probably make because you're like, dang, this process sucks. So um, uh, there's lots of opportunity. And, and because you just said that, because I, I love that you just said because, you know, this process sucks, quote unquote, because it was a quote. I think it was Paul Graham. It might have been Paul Graham, might have been Mark Injuries, who talked about, you know, there is the wealth is made before the user interface is actually easy to use. That's not a, that's not the actual words he used, but that's the point he was making. Yep. And so when the user interface is super easy, the people who were building the thing have already Correct. made their money. Right. And so it was very difficult. It was a strong learning curve for so many people just to figure out what the blockchain was. And so how do you admonish people to not be afraid to jump into this thing? You start talking about wallets. Now you got hot wallets and cold wallets. You talk about MetaMask, you talk about, you know, Coinbase and all you see is bad news, bad news, bad news. How do you, um, how do you preach this to where there's easy entrees into these opportunities? Well, I, I don't, I don't, uh, I, I don't necessarily, I'm not going to encourage for it to be easy. Cause I think to your point, it's in the, it's in the friction where the, where the fortunes are made, right? Like, um, it's it's being able to come up with the you know the the technology that makes the smooth paved road um, for everyone else to be able to follow after you. Um, so I, I think that it is you know number one, what is your uh, expertise? What are you good at naturally? What are you doing currently that makes you money? Great, identify that, and then. As you start exploring, we have a community, so people are welcome to join that and to join our community. But it's really focused on on helping other people who are builders in Web two to start becoming builders in Web three. And so, um, yeah, we go through the basics. We go a lot of the stuff we talked about on this right on this on this episode of what is the blockchain, what's decentralization, why does decentralization matter? This is literally this technology was built out of philosophy. So if you don't understand the philosophy of it. Um, it's going to be hard to wrap your mind around why the technology even is a, ha, is so friction-filled to begin with. Well, why don't we just do, well, because it's not decentralized. You ask the question, well, why isn't the artwork on-chain? Well, does that matter, right? Like, these are all the things that you have to kind of, like, start taking those baby steps and understanding, um, getting your hands dirty. Um, I think that's the thing is just don't be afraid. I started this in 2017. Um, at the end of 2017, I, do, I dove deep into NFT, or to uh, blockchain technology, started investing, lost money, mm. um, <laughs> helped my parents. It's a passage, it up. you know, you got to yeah, do it a little bit. It is, <laughs> it is, right? You're like, and they're like, oh, okay, well, I made a mistake, you know, and <laughs> it's not like I had a lot of money at the time. So it was just being willing. But part of, part of this experience is the value of learning. And so if you're willing to kind of, um, not to say that you need to be willing to lose money in order to, in order to learn, but, um, but, but, you know, you gotta be able to be in community with other people who are committed to learning about this space as well. And it's their, what they're learning is gonna rub off on you as well. And it's interesting you say that, and, and cause I've heard so many people say almost the opposite, but it's not so, so far a departure from what you just said. It's like, you do have to just get in. 
to figure it out. Like if you spend your, all your time on the sideline reading books and you, you just have to get in, you have to buy something, buy, you know, an NFT or, you know, convert some money over to Ethereum or whatever. And so I'm going to give you a couple different examples and I want you to tell me what you would do. So you got a hundred dollars. I'm going to do that. It's thousand dollars, five hundred dollars, a hundred dollars at a hundred dollars. What would you do? Dealer no deal. Dealer, like, what, like, what would you do? You, you want to get yeah. in. Should I buy an NFT? All I have to invest, you know, discretionary in this particular vertical is $100. What do I do with it to get the best education? And then do it at 500 and 1000 This is good. This is good. Okay, so I think step one, $100. Um, what I would do... Gas fees are going to eat a lot of that, by the way. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I think 100 bucks. So I would, I would literally actually just uh, convert it into Ethereum, go to an exchange, um, convert, buy some, set it all up, buy some Ethereum, put it into your MetaMask. So basically buy the Ethereum on exchange, put it into your MetaMask, um, and now you have gas fees. And so um, even with like some of these, N these free NFT projects out there, uh, it's like free plus gas. Yeah. So gas fees are the to... toll, by the way. They're just it's just a toll. It's like getting on a turnpike. You're paying to play. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's a transaction. It's it's what pays because there's no again there's no centralized company that's paying the engineers to make yeah. sure that the blockchain stays running. You're paying the folks who are keeping the blockchain running. Yeah. That's what it is. Um, and so um, there are plenty of free NFTs and free NFTs are actually a trend right now because because we're in a down market. You have a lot of folks who are putting out free NFTs. So what I would do is I would put that $100 into uh, gas fees in your MetaMask wallet and go and go NFT hunting for some free NFTs and have just enough gas money yeah. <laughs> to be able to actually mint the, the free NFT. That's okay. what I do. 500, I'll get $500. What do you do? $500. I would, um, I would uh, take that initial $100, put it into gas fees, take the rest of that $400 and just buy ethereum and keep it in your wallet and take it off of the exchange <laughs> and put it at the very least into your uh, metamask wallet and i assume once we get to a thousand dollars i can tell you what i do after that thousand thousand dollars um i would do those first few steps buy you know put a hundred dollars into gas fees I think with a thousand dollars, you can you can get away with buying one NFT. Um, with the price of ETH being at around you know fifteen hundred dollars right now, most NFTs are selling at like you know um, at mint at launch. Um, you know around 0 0.05 ETH, uh, maybe 0.1 ETH. So that's one hundred fifty bucks. Um, so I you could go and and buy an NFT. The thing though again is doing that due diligence. Who are the, who's the team? Are they um, publicly, known, uh, publicly known? What are they trying to accomplish and build? Awesome. All right, make sure that you get on the allow list because of course they're trying to do supply to demand uh, dynamics as well. So you gotta be involved in the community, um, which usually is gonna be on Twitter and Discord. So get involved, that's free. Uh, getting involved is free. Um, and then uh, if you get onto the allow list, the VIP list, um, Mint your first NFT for like 150 bucks.
Black Tech Green Money is a production of Blavity Afrotech on the Black Effect Podcast Network and iHeartMedia. It's produced by Morgan DeBond and me, Will Lucas, with additional production support by Sarah Ergen and Rose McLucas. A special thank you to Micah Davis and Vanessa Serrano. Learn more about my guests and other tech disruptors and innovators at afrotech.com. Join Black Tech Green Money? Share this with somebody. Go get your money. Peace and love. I'm Will Lucas, and this podcast, if you haven't heard, has been nominated for an NAACP Image Award, and I need your help. The NAACP has recently opened up the opportunity for the public, that means you, to weigh in and vote on this category. Head over to vote.naacpimageawards.net, scroll to the Outstanding News and Information Podcast category, and vote for Black Tech Green Money. It's not often that we see a podcast for us, by us, which highlights the stories of black innovators, technologists, venture capitalists, and angel investors, scientists, and engineers with this big a spotlight. So I'm asking for you to take a moment of your day and vote for us. Do it now. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen wolf And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, 
This is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.